So this is the last Sunday of 2019. Are you happy about that? Some of you are very happy because it was a hard year. Some of you are unsure of what's coming. Uh, what's coming is this, 2020. And uh, for the last number of years, the last month of the year, I would ask the Lord to give me a word for the year. I've been doing that earlier and earlier. I shared with you in September about the Jewish New Year, 5780, if you remember. And I shared with you that in the Hebrew calendar, that is the year that the Lord actually gave Israel when they were in the wilderness when he was speaking to Moses. So it's actually God's calendar that Israel inherited, and today we call the Hebrew calendar, but it's actually God's calendar. And I shared with you a bunch of things about uh, the letter, pay that makes up the number 80. I mean, these are cute things. They're not theological. They're just little tickles of what, you know, sometimes you can see things, and the Lord uses them to communicate things. We don't base our theology on that. We don't base our expectations on that. It's not a prophetic word, but it's a word that helps us sort of catch things. And the word there, the, the letter pay, the word pay is actually the same word as the word mouth or speech or speaking. So the idea of the number 80, uh, which the years, the decade before that it was the decade of the 70s, and the word or the letter that makes up the seven zero, the number 70, is the letter Ein, which in Hebrew means eye, an eye, a physical eye that you see with. So that was the decade of seeing. And we saw so many different prophetic things fulfilled. Uh, people would see things and share them. With this, the number pay, the letter pay, or the number 80, it is more related to the speaking. So I was asking the Lord, is this just cute things? Or is there something more to it? So the Lord started to speak to me about 2020 and what 2020 holds for us. And uh, in the midst of all of this, I experienced uh, a huge level of challenge personally. I know you heard that from Rob a few weeks ago that he had been going through his own challenges. And uh, we're just as human as everybody else. We face just as many challenges as everybody else. Sometimes the scale of the challenge is different. Sometimes you go through heavier things than we do. Sometimes we go through heavier things than you do. And I say we, I mean your spiritual leaders, your spiritual fathers and mothers. Whatever the case, the Lord started to speak to me about 2020. And whenever you hear the words 2020, what comes to mind? Vision. So I'm sorry if this is kind of tacky. I'm sorry if it's kind of what you would expect, but I don't think it's going to come from that perspective. So hang with me. So we're talking about a 2020 vision. And I found that in the last season of attack that I experienced in the last number of months or weeks, the attack was coming against me, but it was coming against me in such a way that it wasn't about destroying me as much as destroying the vision that the Lord had given me. The enemy is too crafty to simply knock one of us out. There's something bigger than knocking us out. 
You can take the dreamer and kill the dreamer. But the dream is what you're really trying to kill. And I came to that realization just recently, just in the last week and a half or two weeks. I realized that whatever the assault against me was, it was against the vision that the Lord had planted into my heart. For us as a church, for the ministry, for what I've been involved in, for everything that I'm doing, it isn't about just eliminating me. So I guarantee you, the challenges that you're facing are challenges to knock you off your track from fulfilling your destiny so that your peace in the puzzle of God remains empty. And ultimately, the attack is against God. You just happen to be his child that the enemy is targeting to get back at daddy. So when we begin to understand that dynamic, everything that we see, everything that we experience, everything that we understand begins to make sense in a different way. You begin to mount strength that you didn't have because the vision is bigger than you. The call that you have, the destiny that you're carrying, the mandate that God has asked you to fulfill. You may think, what mandate? I'm just a father of a couple of kids and I go to work every day and I come home and I take care of my family. What mandate? Start with that. Your mandate at work, your responsibility to be a good worker in whatever mandate you have, whatever career you're pursuing. It could be a teaching career, it could be a, a, a real estate career, it could be a lab career, it could be just very simple things. You could be a chef, you could be an assistant to a chef, you could be a busboy. Whatever your call is, you know, whatever you're supposed to do, do it well in such a way that you excel in that and watch what the Lord will open up next. Watch what the Lord will open up to your children if you remain faithful. Watch what the Lord will do through your children to the next generation. Your faithfulness, if you're not married, you're not even thinking about children. But what God is going to do with you in preparing you for whatever is next. So whatever the vision is, and what I discovered, that my biggest defense was to clarify my vision. How do you clarify your vision? In my case, I keep a log of all the prophetic words that I've received over the last 15 years. Every once in a while, the Lord drives me back to that folder on my computer. And I either listen to the recording or play or, or, watch, or read the text that I typed from it. And something happens inside. You may not have that. You may not have had a database that you collected of prophetic words. Guess what? You do. It's called your B-I-B-L-E, your Bible. It's filled with promises. We sang about it. Who am I to have you've given me? I wasn't worthy of, I don't remember the exact lyrics, but the, the words effectively mean, I'm a nobody. What promises do I have? But I have. So let's have a look at this. In the beginning of the church life, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were staying in Jerusalem because Jesus told them to remain in Jerusalem after he was caught up in the air and taken to heaven. He had been killed on the cross Three days later, he rose. He spent six weeks almost with them, teaching them everything that he had taught before and opening their eyes to understand it in a different way. And now their eyes were beginning to get open. 
And he told them, stay in Jerusalem until the gift of my father, the promise of my father, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes to you. And he will teach you and give you power to do what I'm telling you you have to do. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. So the Son is here speaking to the disciples, telling them, stay in Jerusalem because my Father is going to send you the Spirit. In other words, I'm not leaving you alone. God, me, in spirit, not physically Jesus anymore, but the Spirit of God is going to come and dwell with you. The Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit, all three are one. He's going to come and He's going to baptize you and give you power to fulfill what you have been called to do. That happens. Peter, who was afraid the night of Jesus' betrayal, who denied him three times, now gets baptized in the Spirit along with the others. And people hear them speaking in tongues and they're wondering, what are these crazy Galileans doing? This is in Jerusalem and these people are from north Israel, from Galilee region, from the sea area. And they're fishermen. And they're upstairs in a room and all of a sudden people are shouting in tongues. Tongues that are not Israeli. They're not Hebrew. They're speaking other languages and it lists them from Arabic to Farsi to uh, who knows what. All of them are listed there. Tons from every language under the sun. They're speaking in tongues. And they're also speaking in other tongues. And in the midst of all of this, people say, these guys are drunk. Somebody says, no, they're not drunk. It's afternoon. It's too early to get drunk. So let's hear what they have to say. So Peter stands up and starts preaching. And as he's preaching in Acts chapter 2, we come to a portion where he's quoting one of the prophets of the people of Israel, a man by the name of Joel. And in this book of Joel, God is describing through this prophet, through a vision that the prophet had, details of what's to come. And in this description, he says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Are you part of that? Touch your flesh and feel, yes, I'm people. I'm part of that, right? Okay, so that means in the last days. Are we in the last days? Well, Jesus was speaking these words, or Peter was speaking these words almost 2,000 years ago. And he was referring to that day as the last days. So the last days are the period that the disciples describe as being The time from the day of Pentecost until the fulfillment of all things, until the return of Jesus on his throne on earth. So don't think that the last days are yet to come. We are in the last days. That's kind of freaky because we think, well, it's been 2,000 years. There has to be something, you know, of a crescendo where these things become reality. So let's wait until the crescendo. Let's wait until the climax of the days. Then that's the last days. No, no, no. These are the last days. This prophecy that Joel prophesied relates to today and yesterday and tomorrow. It relates to your grandparents' days. It relates to your grandkids' days. If the Lord waits and doesn't return before then. So it's now. So what is he saying about this? He's saying that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I thank God for that. Because when I'm shaking 
And my words, and my, not words, my, my confidence is, lose, uh, is being lost out of me. I'm losing strength. I'm losing confidence. It's seeping out of me because of the attacks coming against me. The prophetic words that I have received become my strength. Because they're mine. They're God speaking to me. Sometimes you get a prophetic word and you think that person just had that very bad pizza that night. Have you ever had that? Somebody comes to you and says, you know, I feel the Lord is trying to tell you this. Or somebody very confident will tell you, thus says the Lord. I don't like that. I don't like to say that, rather. When somebody says it, I, I cringe because we don't always hear everything correctly, but we hear in part. So I prefer to say, I feel, I sense, I get the impression the Lord is trying to tell you this. Right? I think that's a little softer. That's just me. Maybe the Lord sometimes will bring me to the point where I say, that the Lord wants you to know this. And be that forthright about it. You know? But I don't assume that. I don't want to assume that. I don't want to presumpt, be presumptuous in how I speak to people. So when I, when I hear that, and, and it says that your sons and your daughters will prophesy. How long have the last days been so far? 2,000 plus years almost, right? Plus or minus. Sons and daughters are from which generation in that 2,000 years? So are, is it the sons of Peter's generation? Or is it the sons of Peter's children's generation? It means all of you will prophesy. It means he's speaking to the people of Israel when he, Joel spoke this prophecy and Peter is quoting it. It means all of you will prophesy. Sometimes we think that, no, that's something that's reserved for prophets. But it says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. This is God speaking. Your young men will see visions. We're coming into 2020. Who's the young man here? Not one. Oh, thank you. One young man. Any other young men? Two, three, four, five. Any others? Seriously, six, seven. Okay. <laughs> Do you get my point? Do you get my point? If you think of yourself as an old man, you will act out an old man's existence. The wisest man on earth, Solomon, said it this way. As a person thinks in their heart, so they are. If it was just your birthday recently, and you feel the number of your age, and you begin to think, ugh, I'm old. You're going to start living old. If you start thinking, I, I still feel like I'm 25. My body is trying to give me different messages, but I still feel like I'm 25. I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm still ignorant. I'm still making mistakes. I'm young. Your young men will see visions. Have you ever seen a vision? And I, when he says young men here, he's not only talking about males. Have you ever seen a vision? How much alcohol had you had? Okay, it wasn't alcohol. It was something else. Have you ever seen a vision? It's interesting, isn't it? It has nothing to do with having a, you know, a heavy meal the night before. It has to do with you being in that space with God. Where the veil is very thin. And you can begin to feel things and see things in your spirit. Your old men will dream dreams. 
You know why? Because old men probably, I don't know, I think I, I, I sleep less when I'm getting older. You know, I discovered something about Armenians. They, they don't sleep much. You know why? Every one of them, last names, ends with I-A-N. So you know how they pronounce that? I'm a Borosian. Yan. So I don't get much sleep. <laughs> I know, it's bad. I know. I wanted to get it out in 2019 so that we enter 2020 nice and clean. Okay, thank you. Moscovian, you know, <laughs> Ferenjian, <laughs> Jiknavoryan. <laughs> Sorry, but anyway, let's move on. So your old man will dream dreams, but you have to sleep to dream dreams. In other words, you're restful. You're coming into that place where you can actually relax and actually put your head down on a pillow and get some sleep. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So as we're coming into 2020, maybe we need an adjustment in how we see prophecy. Maybe we need an adjustment. And here's a plug for the class that we have called Hearing the Voice of God. Maybe you need a refresher on that. Maybe you've taken the course once or twice already before. Maybe we need to refresh that. Maybe we need to just, you know get our confidence back in our thinking of how we have the ability to hear God so that we can speak God's heart to people. Because that's what he's saying will happen in these last days. And it's not something we have to wait for. It's something that is current. It's now. I will show wonders in the heavens above. And we've been seeing things in the heavens above. The sun will turn, where is it? Uh, and signs on, on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And then he goes on, he says, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Have we not had blood moons that everybody in, in NASA, from, from NASA on down has been talking about and including many of the prophetic people? The blood moons where the, the moon is full and there's a solar eclipse or, yeah, I guess it's a lunar eclipse. And the lunar eclipse makes the, the, the umbra of the sun causes it to become a red moon. It, the alignment of the earth and the, star, the sun and the star, the, the moon are perfectly aligned so that the blood, the, the moon looks like blood. This has been prophesied. And there's a frequency, an increased frequency of these things happening. Why? Before the coming and great glorious day of the Lord. So these last days are a preparation of the people of God to function on the earth, to be the light and the salt for everybody on earth. Because he's pouring his flesh on all people so that you and I can become instruments of speaking what we have seen in our visions, what we have seen in our dreams, and prophesying it to people so that people can align with the destiny that God has created them for. We have to have perfect vision. As close to perfect vision. And you know what's going to happen? From 20, it's going to go to 2021. That means, in, in optics, that means you have to be at 20 feet to see what a normal eye sees at 21. And then following year, it's going to be 2022, which means you've got to get even closer than the perfect vision person who can stand at 22 and see 20. Right? So you've got to have to stand closer always 
That means that the days are going to get darker and visions are going to be harder to see. But the people of God have to always remain in 2020 vision so that we can hear correctly, see correctly, and speak correctly to the society that we're in. Because you know what happens when vision doesn't exist. In Proverbs, it tells us, Proverbs 29, when there is no vision, my people perish. So we as the church need to be functioning at 2020 all the time, irrespective of what the calendar says and how bad the times get. We have to be the ones that have the the ability to hear and to see and to speak God's word. And he ends with this. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have the faculties We have the prophetic gift. We have the prophesied prophetic gift. You and I, the children of God, have this mandate. It's not just a privilege. It's a responsibility to society that we exist in to be able to prophesy. And I don't mean be weird about it. You know, you've heard many examples of how Rob has been in many different circumstances where he felt something about a person's leg or a person's body that needed healing. And he gently brought that word to them and they were able to receive it and receive their healing after it. I'm not talking about, you know, being a crusty old prophet with a staff and you go around, thus says the Lord, the end is near, repent. I'm not talking about that. He needs normal everyday people to be able to be mixed into society to be able to bring the heart of God and the, the goodness of God to everything that's around us. You're going to tell me this was Old Prophet, Old Testament Prophet. Well, can we look at Paul? That was Peter. This is Paul. Paul was a Pharisee who was one of the religious Jewish people, and he persecuted the church. He went around collecting Christians in the early beginning of the church and killing them because he was so defending the faith of uh, the Jews, Judaism. But he had an encounter with God, and God spoke to him. God brought realignment to him. As a matter of fact, God blinded him first, and then opened his eyes. He wanted to reset his vision from being what it was as a closed-minded Jewish person that did not understand that Messiah had come and had gone to the cross. He was expecting a Messiah that was going to be triumphant. But he now saw that the Messiah came, died on the cross, was raised from the dead. And all of a sudden, the scales off his eyes came off. And he started to understand what his call was. And his vision got realigned. His eyes were refocused. And he spent the rest of his life sharing the gospel with the Jews and then with the Gentiles. And he wrote the letter to a group of Christians living in Corinth. I love the books, the two books of Corinthians, the two letters. Because they are so similar in culture to our, our, our culture here today in Canada. Everything went. You can do anything. They had many gods. We have many gods. Just drive around the city of Toronto. you see all the different altars. They had very open sexuality. No different than what we have. It was a culture where everything went. Everything goes. People were tolerant of all kinds of behavior. But in the midst of that, he wrote a letter to them. And in that letter, we have probably the most popular chapter in all of the Bible that is quoted almost in every wedding. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Love, charity. 1 Corinthians 13. Very good. You know your Bible, at least that portion. That's excellent. Read it. I'm going to quote from it. 
just in a few minutes. But the chapter after that, chapter 14. Chapter 14 is a very interesting chapter. Chapter 12 is a very interesting chapter because he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, specifically speaking in tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge and all of these words that have to do with the church's ability to hear God, see God's vision, and speaking it out. 5780, the pay, we're speaking it out. We should be speaking it out all through, not just in the 80s, but all through, right? But the Lord is dusting all that off to to bring our attention to realize, hey, we should be speaking this stuff out. So the word prophecy or prophet or prophesy in chapter 14 of Corinthians, how many times would you figure it would appear? Once? Twice? If, If it appeared five times, do you think it's relevant to us today? If it appeared 10 times, well, guess what? It appears 14 times. It's not just a passing, fleeting idea. It's the practical reality of the functioning of a good, healthy church that prophecy and prophets and the prophetic is part of its everyday life. As a matter of fact, he says, when you are together and somebody stands up and speaks in tongues, if there's no interpretation, what does that benefit anybody? But if I would wish that one person would stand up and prophesy. We don't have prophecy like that. We have sermons. We get up and we preach. We expound. We'd receive it differently. After the service is over and somebody comes and receives prayer and there's a word that's released, we receive that word differently. Don't we? Sometimes we flip our phones up and we record that word because we want to hear it. We want to store it. I go back, not to my sermons, even though I've preached them or Rob's or whoever's. I go back to the prophetic words that are mine. Fourteen times it's discussed in there. But what it's going to take for us to come into the 2020 vision, to be able to grasp that. I was reading some things about it, and Chris Vallotton talked about vision. And he talks about vision as being sight. And he says that when we have vision, that's God's vision, we are seeing with God's sight. You agree on that? Okay. So if it's God-given vision for your life, for us as a church, for the city, for the nations, whatever vision scope it is, whatever sphere of that vision is, it has to be God's vision. I cannot lead a church. I cannot pastor a church with my own vision of a church. That's pointless. I don't want to do that. I don't want us as a church to do that. I don't want a vision, human vision imposed on us. I want to protect us from any human vision. So that we can see God's vision and see it with his eyes so that we can dream it according to what he is wanting us to dream. Agreed? So Chris Vallotton says that vision comes with three things. It comes with foresight. And foresight, he says, is like a telescope where you can see way out there what this vision is about. So I think a lot of us start off with good foresight. I want to study such and such and become such and such a a career. I have such and such a career. That's wonderful. That's not all the whole story, though. And then there comes the insight, where the insight now is not a telescope anymore, but it's more like a microscope, where you can begin to zoom in 
and see the details of how this vision that you can see from afar needs to be fulfilled. But even that is not good enough. You also need oversight. And oversight is like flying at 10,000 feet or 5,000 feet and looking over the landscape like in a helicopter. These are Chris Valentin's words, where you can begin to see the context of where that vision fits into the rest of the picture so that you don't miss the forest for the trees. So in your life, you may have had foresight. You may have been very good at seeing things far. But you have to have all three to be able to establish the sight that God has for this matter. Not only foresight to see far away what the vision is and where you're going. You also need to see the details of the steps in between. But you also see the context of where that fits into the rest of your relationships. If you're married and your personal vision is one thing, it has to fit into what your family's vision is. Or if you're a child, it has to fit into your family's vision. You have a vision for your life, and it's wonderful, and you can see yourself becoming such and such and doing such and such and having this ministry or leading that ministry. That has to fit into the rest, and you, you need the details, but it has to fit into the rest of your spiritual family, of how your family releases you and blesses you and causes you to move forward in all of these areas. A few years ago, we had a couple with us that were here. Michael and Leonor. Michael has been in the Canadian military for years. And he was here for one year period. They were here together for a one year period. We enjoyed having them as part of our congregation. And at the end of that year, we actually blessed them and commissioned them for the next phase of their journey. And we released them from Toronto and off they went to somewhere very far. It takes you forever to get up there in Labrador. You know where Labrador is? And no, it's not the dog. It's somewhere out there, Newfoundland and Labrador, way out there in the East Coast. And it's very cold and you have to have chains on your tires, right? Anyway, I don't think any of us ended up visiting you there, unfortunately. So from there, they moved to Ottawa, where we ended up seeing them more regularly. But they're at a stage now where they're, you know, and, and we commissioned them. And since that commissioning, even though they had foresight that the Lord is calling me into the military to be a leader within the Canadian military, he put himself into practice and they functioned together, both Leonor and Michael. She went and pursued her education to, to understand how she can minister to First Nations people in a very specific medical area. And they functioned together as a pair. So they, they saw the vision. They saw that that's the, the foresight. They saw the insight, what they have to do to equip themselves, prepare themselves. And they always come back here and they understand the context. Even though they're no longer with us physically in this body, they feel and we feel together that they're family with us. It was really weird the first day they showed up. He had been just stationed in Afghanistan and had come back home. And I was putting on video clips at that point of prayers for nations. And that week, I had selected Afghanistan. And Tahara was there. She's from Afghanistan. And all of a sudden, everything started to, to, to come together. They were just passing through visiting. And they were trying to figure out where the Lord is leading them to make a family in a church. Like make themselves as part of the church family. 
And they connected here. So foresight, insight, oversight, and they constantly call me. More than any of you, maybe. And they report to me. Not as, you know, here's my report. But, hey, we recognize you as a spiritual leader in our lives. We want to share with you what the Lord is doing with us, what he's sharing with us, what he's talking to us. We feel that we're, we're coming into a, a change in this journey. Would you bless us as we step into the next phase? And I do, and I pray, and I, I, I'm honored to walk with you in this journey. And they're coming up to a new shift. So maybe it's time that we bless you in that new shift. Okay? So we'll do that in a few minutes. But as we continue, and this is not something that we do just for Michael and Leonor, okay? It's something that we do for all of us. We do this in our small groups. They happen to be out of the city. They're in Ottawa. So this becomes the, the context in which we do that for them. But we do that for every one of us. We hear together. We function together. None of us are an island within this whole sea. We're all connected as part of this family. That's a rhyme, if you see. Anyway, uh, we're connected in this family, and we walk together, and we hear together, and we check each other in our hearing because none of us hear entirely correctly or perfectly or wholly. We see in part. So when we see all of this, we begin to understand that the oversight, it's not a lording over. Like they're not reporting to me because I'm their overseer. They're, they're fitting themselves into the bigger picture to understand what the Lord is doing with us as a congregation within the context of Toronto, within the context of Canada, within the context of the nations that the Lord has opened up to us. And this is the fun part of walking together. This cannot happen. And... 1 Corinthians 14, with the 14 times of discussing prophecy, cannot happen without 1 Corinthians 13. It can't. You can do prophecy, but if you do it heartlessly, without charity, without love, it becomes a crusty old prophet that's just angry at everybody. Because you hear one aspect of God's heart, and that's the judgment. Because in the prophecy, there is a judgment. Because he wants to get rid of the evil, the dirty, the darkness out of our lives. And to replace it with the light. But if you're crusty and, and old, and, and not old, but like if you're an angry prophet, all you're going to give people is the judgment aspect of it. You're not going to be able to give them the whole picture of, of seeing how much God loves them and how much he wants to get rid of the darkness so he can fill it with his light. And as a matter of fact, this, this whole thing, of 1 Corinthians, this is the verses. That God, excuse me, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It, does not, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. How many times have we kept record of wrongs? How many times have people kept record of wrong for us? How do we feel when a record of wrong is thrown in our face? We know we're wrong. You don't need to remind me. <laughs> Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know what the beauty of this is? John, the disciple of Jesus tells us that God is love. 
Love isn't a characteristic, but it's the very nature of God. So I'm going to take some liberty here. I've done this a few years ago. But in the context of us being people of prophecy, people that hear God and see his God's given vision correctly and speaking it to our society, to our friends, to our family, to our members of the church, I want to change something. I'm going to change everywhere it says love to God because God is love. Logical? So God is patient. We know that. God is kind. Yes, we know that. God does not envy. We know that. God does not boast. We know that. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God will not give someone a prophetic word that will make you feel shamed and naked. If God reveals some secret sin of a person, the way you deliver it has to be with very huge honor. God is not self-seeking. As a prophet, you're never self-seeking. I've given these big words. But God gave me this word to give everybody. It's got nothing to do with that. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrong. I will remember your sin no more. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth because he himself is truth. God always protects. He always trusts. Every time we come to him and say, Daddy, I'm so sorry. Yes, my son. Come back. Even though in the back of our mind, we may be planning the next time we're going to sin. You know, we say this at weddings because we know that's the characteristic that's going to keep a marriage together. You always trust. You've been wronged. You've been stepped on. You've been humiliated. You've been cheated on. You've been et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you always trust when there's somebody who says, forgive me. I'm sorry. You know, back in the 70s, there was a movie called The Love Story. And the theme word of that movie was love means never having to say you're sorry. Baloney. Baloney. Love means saying I'm sorry and meaning it and receiving it. Always hopes. Yeah, I'm hoping that this time it will be the way that person said. Always persevere. God never feels, uh, fear, fails. And we've been made in his image. You know where I'm going with this. I have been made in his image. I have been given his spirit. I have been given his character. So we can actually change that from love to God and from God to I. You agree with me? Good? So I am patient. Now say it with me. Let's make this our declaration coming into this new year. I am patient. I am kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. I am not proud. I do not dishonor others. I am not self-seeking. I am not easily angered. I keep no records of wrongs. I do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. I always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. I never fail. Amen? Amen. Coming into that with that vision that he has given us this character to be able to do that. We can actually say this collectively as a congregation, as City River. Let's declare it once again as City River this time. Let's all stand and do that together. We together, we are patient. We are kind. We do not envy. 
We do not boast. We are not proud. We do not dishonor others. We are not self-seeking. We are not easily angered. We keep no record of wrongs. We do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. We always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. We never fail. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the giver of your spirit. You have promised and you have done. You have poured out your spirit on all flesh. You have poured it on us. We see it in action that your spirit is actually functioning in people's lives that don't even know you yet. So, Father, we ask you, make these words our reality. What we have declared, we see as foresight. Show us the insight in our day-to-day and fit us together so that we can have the oversight as one family to fulfill the destiny that you've given us. We thank you. And Father, today, we lift up Michael and Leonor. Just extend your hands over to them, please. Father, as you have functioned their lives and placed them in places that were beyond their dreams, sitting around tables that they never imagined, having conversations with levels of leadership that they never dreamt of, representing Canada, but more importantly, representing your kingdom. Father, we bless them, and we ask for you to open the door for them for the next leg of the journey. Bless them as they hear your voice. Bless them as they feel your nudges, make decisions together, and guide them, Lord, in the right direction so that they wouldn't miss anything along the journey of what you have in store for them to bless them with and through. We bless them, Lord, and we recognize them as one with us, and we are honored to walk together as family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wish you a wonderful new year. May 2020 be full of his life. May 2020 be the fulfillment of all the dreams that he has in store for you. I bless you and I release you. In Jesus' name, thank you.